Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matthew Farrell, who is going to speak now. Hello, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode, which was tracking your EV, solar, and energy use with machine learning. It's the Sense Smart Home interview. It was released on June 30th, 2020. Before we get into the conversations that spawned in the comments on the video, I wanted to ask you for a quick summary of how you came across the product and how you reached out to the company to start this discussion that you had. Yeah, well, when I was waiting to get my order in for my Model 3 over a couple of years ago, um, like three years ago, I, and I knew I was going to be getting solar panels installed. I wanted to, I started going down that path of wanting to know more about where my energy use was going. And I wanted to have a system set up where I could actually see energy use side by side with how much energy I was going to be generating with my solar panels. And so when I started looking into products, that's when I discovered Sense. And, and compared to the other things that were out there, that was the one that I gravitated towards because it was all in one box. It had machine learning, which meant it was going to be evolving over time where the other things were very static and also took a lot more installation. They were a lot more difficult to install. So I went with Sense. And uh, I've been on their mailing list and followed their blog posts for the past couple of years. And I saw their, uh, recently this spring, they put out a blog post about the difficulties in tracking electric vehicles. And that really piqued my interest. And that's when I ended up reaching out to them to kind of follow up on that and arrange the interview. And how receptive were they to your reaching out? Oh, they were very receptive. I mean, not to <laughs> make it sound like I'm tuning my own horn, but if if a social media person reaches out to them that has any kind of following or platform, I found that companies tend to be very receptive because obviously it's it's getting the word out about their product. And right. uh, there was a vetting process where I basically had to tell. They were like, "What what are you interested in talking to them about?" I told them exactly what I was the topics I wanted to talk about. Like some photographs I took recently of him at a hotel. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was like they were very open when I told them I wanted to talk about the machine machine learning aspect of the product as well as the electric vehicle side of it. And uh, they said Mike would be very eager to talk to you about that kind of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And to touch on something that we spoke about very briefly before we started recording, you're not compensated for any of these. There's no. there's a big difference between doing a sponsored video and doing something where you've reached out and out of your own interest want to interview somebody. Yeah, the, the, I got, there was no compensation for this whatsoever. It was, you know, one of us reaching out to the other one, mutually, you know, just agreeing like, okay, we can do this. No money changed hands, nothing, nothing nefarious. <laughs> if I'm ever <laughs> sponsored or receive a product for free or anything like that. I always, always mention in my video if I've received a product that I didn't pay for. And I've actually never done a sponsored video ever, like an entire video dedicated to a product that I was paid to do. I've never done that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the the term machine learning. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, I'm curious as to whether or not learning is what's actually happening here. It's it's basically like the system is developing an understanding of a certain signal is 
potentially a certain device. So it's very much just input and response. It's not the same as saying this is, there's not an evolutionary process in place here. This isn't going to become more sophisticated on its own and be able to put things together on its own in any way around your power usage or around your usage of the things, the devices in your home. I, I, there are definitely people out there that know way more about this than I do. But my base level understanding is that's not the case. These things do evolve on their own, but it's within very strict boundaries. It's not like it's going to turn into Skynet and take over the world. It's, it's within a very narrow confine of how it evolves. Mm -hmm. But these systems actually are learning. Think about like a kindergartner or like a little kid that you teach them. That's a tree. And you point at the tree and the kids points at a flower and says tree. And you're like, no, that's a flower. Right. It's, it's basically learning like that. So if, if it's supervised learning, you're basically saying, this is a dog, this is a cat, this is a dog, this is a cat. Now you try and it starts going through and guessing. And if it gets it wrong, you say, nope. And it, it actually learns. It's not code that humans have written for every single instance of that detection. That's, that's the way we used to computer program things. That's not this. So you're, you're, it's, it's really kind of mind trippy when you dive into this more and more that this is, they actually are learning algorithms where you're mm. setting up the confines and then it evolves down that path. And a clear example of this going wrong, <laughs> uh, I think it was Microsoft a few years ago had a bot that they put up on Twitter or social media and it would interact with people in a way that was very natural and it would make posts that felt very natural and human mm -hmm. and trolls online uh, very quickly destroyed this wonderful experiment because they started spewing racist, horrible things at it to learn mm -hmm. from. And it made the bot turn into a racist jerk. <laughs> right. And so the, the bot was spewing propaganda and horribly racist things and they had to shut it down because it had learned bad behavior from bad people. Right. And it was not what the programmers intended. And the programmers didn't actually know how it got to where it did because yeah. it's a learning machine. It's, well, it's, it's kind it's, of a it's, demonstration it's, of how racism works. Yeah. It's a, as a virus. You know, yeah. it's, it, they contaminated it. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those, it, this is, like I said, it's in confines. It's not going to like, <laughs> become self-aware the way we're doing it. Right. But it's, it, it actually is a learning machine. So it's like at a certain point, humans are only kind of shepherding it along and actually don't know the nitty gritty of why it's doing some of what it's right. doing. I'm reminded of the Google Translate story from a few years ago. In Google, they discovered that Google Translate had come up with its own language because Google Translate had discovered that translating from one language into another language was sometimes easier if you went into a third language first. And what Google Translate had done was effectively create a sort of hybrid middle language that it was feeding things through. And the programmers turned off that ability to do that because they weren't quite sure what was going on inside. And there was some thought that what they turned off, some people, some computer scientists actually argued that what they turned off was artificial intelligence. 
it was like it came up with a twin language, like, you know, how twins have a, their own yes. like yes. way of communicating. Yes. And so it's that kind of bleeding edge of technology that's both fascinating and, and a little unnerving at the same time. It has a, yes. <laughs> a little bit of a, not a scary factor, but just a, the unexpected is living right there. This, this is not that. <laughs> this right. is a very narrow sliver this is of largely, This is actually <laughs> very large calipers that you've just placed around <laughs> power, power lines in your home. Exactly. So one of the things you did not really go into in the video was how exactly is that working? What is it doing in your home? When your power power generates, you know, like think of it like waveforms, audio waveforms. I'm saying that because I'm looking at a waveform on my screen right now as we're talking. But like it's like it's like that. So there's just a cacophony of noise being created by the electrical use. And so when you turn on a light or your oven or open the garage door and the motor's turning, all those kind of things generate change that pattern. And basically, what's happening is these kind of systems are able to recognize patterns from specific things. And over time, it's like, wait, I've seen that pattern before again and again. It's a repeating pattern. I keep saying, I think it's a device. And so then it will guess what that device is. And it's that machine learning aspect of over time, it learns these kind of things are a stove. These kind of things are dehumidifiers. So it can actually, it, it can filter through the noise to find those patterns. So it's a little bit like speech recognition in that way. It's it's a lot. Well, it's funny. It's Mike Phillips, the CEO. His background is in speech recognition. He worked mm-hmm. like 20 years ago, back when speech recognition was like, there was drag and dictate through all these software packages that did speech recognition at that time, which was not that great. It, you could see I the I actually promise. tried it. I actually yeah. tried it for a while because there was a period of time where the limited amount of time I had to work on my writing was proving to be a hindrance Uh and so i tried using dragon dictate and it was dragon awful it was (laughs) it did not do a very good job now i could absolutely use speech recognition to dictate my my writing i could absolutely do that um yeah it improved over the course of 10 20 years and that's kind of what this is It's it's basically the same exact thing just with electricity and so it's it's going to get better and better and better over time to the point where in 10 years from now, it may be very accurate in what it does. One of the questions that popped up in your comments was directly related to what you just brought up about why you started with wanting to track stuff and the electric vehicle experience and solid fuel 85 had a very straightforward question, which was your EV charger doesn't tell you how much it's putting in the car. Yes, it, it absolutely does. Like when I plug in my Tesla in, it shows me how much, where it started from it. And at the end, it shows me how much my battery has in it then. So I can see, oh, it put in 10 kilowatts, you know, it's 10 kilowatt hours have been put into the battery. I know that, but the problem is that's not the actual amount of energy I'm going to be paying for because it may have taken 10 and a half kilowatts to go into the battery because the conversion, there's a conversion loss in there. So having a sense actually shows me the disparity between what's getting stored in the car versus what it took to get into the car, which Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons I was really eager to get it tracking my EV usage. I was curious to know what that disparity is between those two to more accurately understand the costs and where my energy use was going. 
And what about the sense technology? It seems like it would be usable anywhere. Uh, one of the commenters, Robert Cruikshank, wrote that he wondered if this would work in Australia, where uh, they have different power voltage systems than they do yeah. here. And he was curious about its usability there. And it seems like if this is just reading waveforms and learning about devices based on patterns that it's seeing and timing of and confirmation from a human as to like, yes, this was running at that time or this is usually that. It seems like they probably do have the ability to make the system work worldwide. But do you know if they are going worldwide? They are not right now. This is like the beginning of speech recognition. So it's like they're just it's not like they're just starting today. It's like they've been doing this for years, but it's they're getting the system more and more robust and better at detection and what it's doing. I have a feeling that they'll probably roll out more worldwide to more markets like Australia because it's going to take a whole new set of training because of the different systems that are around the world um, once they get to a certain point. But I think right now they're just 100% with their limited resources, because they're a small company focused on just like the US and Canada, like right now, because they're just focusing on one electrical style of system. And then once they kind of get that to more of a system of perfection, then they'll probably try to start replicating that around the world. Your experience with the system, how often do you find that it's erroneous in what it assumes something is? And how often do you actually have to interact with it to tell it something that it can't even begin to understand what it is? It depends. I would say the erroneous detections, like I have detected something and it's actually completely dead wrong as to what it detected. I'd say maybe half the time what it's saying to me that it detected is either something it's already detected, so it's now a duplicate, or it got the thing. Like, yes, this is a thing, but what I'm thinking it is is wrong. So like... I detected a stove. It's like, no, that's not a stove that you detected. That's actually a dehumidifier. Mm -hmm. That I would say those two things combined is probably half the time. That makes it sound really bad, but it's not. It, it's really not that bad. It's it's right. pretty, once it gets the stuff, it's pretty accurate at detecting that stuff. And it's on occasion things like my Tesla, which showed up in my thing and then disappeared. Like it doesn't detect it anymore at the moment because Tesla changes how the car charges with different firmware updates. And so stuff like it that. effectively changes the waveform. Correct. So it's like, so for a while my Tesla worked and now it doesn't. And that's not the fault of sense. It's, it's, it's the difficulty and the challenge of these complex ways that EVs charge changes over time. So the system has to kind of relearn it and kind of find its footing. Right. So it's, th that is less frequent because like a, a refrigerator is a refrigerator and it, it's the same <laughs> It's gonna, that my refrigerator is going to be the same in 10 years as it is today. So it's it's been right. really accurate at stuff like stoves and refrigerators and dehumidifiers, that kind of stuff. Does the erroneous uh, recognition of something like, oh, this is a stove and it's actually a dehumidifier, does that ever confuse you and make you want to go cook eggs under dehumidifier? It does, and it's kind of messy. That's terrible. Yeah. So another question that came up in the comments was from John Nitzer, who wrote, Matt, I liked what you said about defining smart homes in their systems to work together and know how efficient they are, and if over time they're failing and need to be fixed or replaced. Do you know if Sense or other companies recommend specific manufacturers or products as we as individual homeowners need to replace them so that we can move toward an integrated home as we replace the various components in our home, such as water heater, air conditioning unit, so forth? Sadly, no. 
especially sense it's like they don't promote like certain devices or anything like that and right. on the other side is like i would be kind of leery of that a little bit it's like right why are you recommending that specific device over this other one i think it really comes down to more of the industry as a whole getting behind some kind of standardized smart home system technology and depending on where you live you know unfortunately it's it's largely state based as opposed to nationally or even internationally but the energy efficiency it's all over the map flags <laughs> that you know pro, uh, manufacturers will put onto products like you see that with air conditioners especially you know manufacturers it, it would be nice if that was more uniform across the board so that people could make smart decisions and could really see that they might be saving money two years down the line if they spend a little bit more money now for energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. But that really is, it seems like it would be the sort of thing that Sense could weigh in on, but that would be a completely secondary product line if they were to mm -hmm. do sort of a consumer report sort of here's what the energy usage in your home looks like from these products it would start to look like product endorsement and like you said raise questions of like why are you recommending products well instead of what they're effectively doing which is we want to inform you within your own home about what's happening in your home but there is an interesting take on that. I, I use a backup service for all my computers called Backblaze. This is not sponsored. <laughs> it's not sponsored. But I love I love Backblaze. It just happens in the background, backs my stuff up. But what's cool is Backblaze puts out these reports. I think it's quarterly or twice a year or something like that. They put out these reports that they email their users. That's just like they use an immense number of hard drives from different manufacturers like Seagate and Western Digital, they do all these kind of crazy hard drives and they know how well all these hard drives handle right. crazy amount of usage because that's their business. It's just data right. backup. And so they put these reports out all the time of like, here's what we're seeing with what we're experiencing from these companies. And so you can very easily say, oh, wow, Western Digital makes the most robust. They last so much longer than this brand and this brand. And it's not that Backblaze is creating a you know, an endorsement system. It's like, it's like a, an objective, here's the numbers and the data behind what we're seeing from the products we're using. Make up your own mind what you want to take away from this. It's like, I could see maybe Sense doing something like that of like, it's, it's not that they're endorsing anything, but it's like, here's what we see on our system at large for people who have this style of device. Here's how much energy they use. Here's just, just the facts, ma'am. It might be interesting. Another comment from Peter Walker. He wrote, I'm consistently on the fence with Sense. I wish you would have asked why they can't just set something manually. If you flip a switch and it detects something wrong, I continue to hear that there's no way the user can correct that. Is that still true? If so, I feel like it's a direction they are going that seems to run counter to what the user base would like. And I would love to understand why that is. Why not allow the folks to train their system? Seems to me like a no-brainer. I love the integrations and I'd love to see, see them integrate with smart things. Anyway, we can see the sense. Can we see the sense roadmap even short term, like three to six months would be awesome. Much appreciated. Yeah. Now, I wish, I wish sense would provide some kind of roadmap of where they're going. It's a little more specific, but as far as being able to train it yourself, I mean, he kind of addressed that in one of my first questions to him. Yeah. But about the unsupervised versus supervised learning. And he he basically said, like, users would have no idea what they're looking at to be able to help train the system. There's no way with these waveforms and electrical things that you could actually do that. Um, 
I could see a system where maybe you say to it, I'm about to turn something on. You yeah. turn that thing on and you say, it's now on. And maybe that could help it start to try to do that. Maybe if you do that a handful of times over a number of days, it could yeah. actually start to learn. Maybe that could work, but I, it just seems sort kind of helpful contrary. labeling data as opposed to just right. straightforward switch flipping. But in the app, you have methods to like, if it detects a duplicate, you can merge things. You can actually tell it because it will detect like on my stove, it actually detected the oven heating elements separately from each of the top stovetop elements. And I was able to merge those and basically say, no, this is one thing. And it put those all together. Or it like for me, it was constantly telling me my TV was on when it was off. You can report a problem and you can hit that device and say, this is actually not on. Report this as an issue and it will let them know. And mm -hmm. I've seen by doing that numerous times, it's actually stopped. It's actually helped it. Like it doesn't do that anymore. So it's like, right. it's, it's clearly user feedback is part of the system, but just like, because it's a learning machine, it's not like it's going to be an instant thing. It may take it weeks or months for it to finally start getting that stuff right sometimes, but it has, I've, I have seen it improve based on that feedback. When you first get the device, the way it works is you're taking those giant calipers and putting them around your main power feed in your home. Did they ever have a smaller version that was more product specific? Or is there another company that you know of that does something similar to that? Yeah, there's companies like, um, there's one called Curb that you basically install these like in your electric box, you're looking at all the different circuits. You're basically installing something on each circuit breaker. So you have clamps around the mains, just like Sense, and then you have these sensors, these lines that are going into almost every single circuit breaker that you want to track. And so in one regard, you could say it's more specific, but it's only telling you what's electrical usage on a circuit. So like a circuit could be every light in your kitchen and living, you know, kitchen and living room. Right. It's like, that's not very specific. It's just in a broad sense. It's telling you circuit 22 is using this much energy, but it's not telling you these are the five devices on circuit 22. So there, it's a different methodology. That's the one that's, so those are the systems I was looking at when I was first getting into this. And it was like, that's very laborious to get it installed. And it's not as detailed as I wanted. And so it's like, for me, it was like, okay, sense may be a little broader view in the beginning, but over time it will get more and more specific. And for me, that's what drove, drove me towards sense over something like curb. And how often do you interact with this? In the beginning, I was obsessed with looking at it almost on a daily basis. <laughs> uh, but now it's like I look at it every few weeks. I may pop in there or if it's a really sunny day, you know, and I'm curious, like, what am I using right now? And it's like, what's my solar panel doing? I'll pop in there and take a look. Or um, if my air condition, like right now, it's been really hot. And it's like I've, I got curious about like how much has my energy use gone over up over the past week because of the air conditioning has been running a lot. I'll pop in there. So it's like every couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, I'll pop in there and take a look. So it's not an obsession. It's, it's just, a tool. It's a tool. And it's yeah. information that you find is helping you with your refining of your smart home. Right. And I have warnings and things set up in there for like, if something has been running for too long, let me know. And then I get monthly reports that are emailed to me from Sense saying, here's how your June looked. Here's how your May looked. And it will show me how much solar I generated, how much energy I use, and it shows a comparison to my community. So I get these reports sent to me in a more active fashion once a month too. 
So that's a little bit of a deeper dive into the discussion you had about sense. And before we finish the podcast, I thought we would mention a couple of things that we might be doing to stay sane in the continuing pandemic era. Uh, Matthew, I don't know if you have anything to share or if you've been working yourself to the bone. (laughs) I've just been working and still playing Last of Us 2, so I don't really have anything new to share. Right. I just really quickly wanted to promote for anybody who hasn't heard of it, the musical Hamilton, which is now available on Disney Plus. And the, I won't go in too deep into what I think about the story itself. I think it's, I think it's an amazing show. It really is a remarkable piece of art. And especially now with the political era that we're living through, it's a nice reminder that a lot of the political infighting and shenanigans and head scratching, why did they do that? Are there any adults in charge? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those questions were being asked 240 years ago. This is not so a new problem we're having. <laughs> it's it's not brand new. A lot yeah. of the issues that we're seeing, um, even to the Black Lives Matter protests, the the questions about equality and what freedom looks like and for whom, those questions are a part of the show. This is, um, it's a nice reminder that these are, are part of this show may be one of the ways that we can wrestle with our own history. And I think that's a a really powerful thing, but just from a cinematic perspective, I think I did see Hamilton on Broadway. Um, I was privileged enough to be able to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, I did it while I was struggling with the flu. So I saw it while I was feverish and (laughs) not feeling good at all. So it was kind of a, out of body experience for me at the moment, but the filming has been masterfully done. I have never seen a stage production filmed in a way that both feels as intimate as a film and as grand as a stage production. They've done a really terrific job of giving you the wide scope when you need it and some focused moments where you zoom in. And I don't really know how they did it. I would like to see something about the filming of this because there are moments where you feel like the camera person had to be on stage with them, but Mm -hmm. it was filmed during a live show. So I really don't know how they managed to do it. But I do strongly recommend for anybody who has Disney Plus, I I highly recommend the, uh, the, the show. It's well worth checking out. Yeah, I've... I've been wanting to see this when it was on, I wanted to see it when it was on Broadway, but was never able to make it out to go see it. And then when the original cast stopped, it was like, I still wanted to see it, but I really wish I had could see the original cast. So when mm-hmm. this was announced that it was coming out, I got really excited and I watched the trailer and I said this to you before we started recording, but like I was taken aback by the filming technique. I have never seen a Broadway show recording that looks almost like a movie at times yeah it's it's crazy that that was a live performance because i I don't know if it was like cameras on like gibbs jibs and stuff like that that were floating around or if it was an actual human being running across the stage all dressed in black as they were performing it's kind of crazy and i'm not sure what they might have done with the audience i'm also interested in that because the audience seemed to have specific moments where they applauded 
but there was not the experience that I had, which was the entrance of specific people. The audience immediately responded to specific people, almost like when you see a sitcom and, you know, like Kramer walks in the room and the audience goes crazy for that moment as Kramer walks in the room. Mm -hmm. And that interrupts the flow of a, of a live show. Mm -hmm. And that didn't really happen here. And I couldn't help but wonder, like, did they ask the audience, like, only applaud at the end of numbers? They may like, have done that. Like they like may a, have done something like that because the yeah. rhythm of the show, it is, it, it flows beautifully. Um, and also nicely, they include an intermission halfway through. So huh. they give you a 60 second intermission. It was much longer in the live show. Uh, <laughs> they give you a 60 second intermission, which is nice because it gives you a chance to actually pause it, bathroom break, make some popcorn, uh, talk about the show a little bit and then start it back up. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on watching that today. So to all the listeners, let us know what you think. Do you have a sense smart home as well? And what are your experiences with it? You could let us know through Twitter at stilltbdfm. You could let me know directly at by Sean Farrell or Matt at Matt Farrell and at undecidedmf. Please be sure to watch for the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. And you can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm. You can also find it at Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and you can subscribe, you can review it, and you can share it with your friends. Please do, because that really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel, the channel helps Matthew, and then Matthew helps me. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Can you hear the kitchen crashing sounds from upstairs? Yes, I can. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? Sarah's washing dishes. (laughs) This is a very sensitive mic.